morning. Let me invite your attention to James chapter 4. Be careful about making plans. We're about to finish James 4, and then we'll launch into James 5 in this Nuts and Bolts series. But back in the 70s, there was a songwriter musician by the name of Jim Croce. And Jim wrote a song. It was entitled Time in a Bottle. And the purpose of that song, Jim wanted to write the song, was he wanted to put time in a bottle so that he could use it to spend time with someone whom he loved. And as you may know, the eerie thing about that song, when that song was released, Jim Croce had died. He had been killed. Uh, one of the things we know from God's Word, but just in life, you can't put time in a bottle. Uh, we all have 24-7 the same. Make sure you use it wisely. Be careful about making plans. Uh, I know for many of us in the room and many watching, we are planners. We plan a lot of things. There are people who spend literally months and years planning for weddings. One of the mistakes I see in that is that they do a great job planning for the wedding. They just don't spend as much time planning for the marriage, and they're very different. Uh, we spend a lot of time planning for retirement. We spend a lots of time planning for vacations, graduations, important meetings, business deals. We'll spend a lot of time planning out activities. Many of you in this room, you spend a lot of time planning for meals and grocery lists. You, you write those out and you plan well. Well, you would think with all the planning that we do, we would live lives that are very different than what we do because even with all the planning, there are many people in life still stressed out. Students, young adults, older adults, stressed out to the max in life. And with all the planning that we do, you would think we would live efficient and stress-free lives, but that's just not the case. Be careful about making plans. James chapter 4, as we think about this message, James is going to give us some instruction on planning. How should we be careful about making plans? He's ultimately going to say planning is a part of life, but even in the best of plans in your life, you still need to be fluid and you need to expect the unexpected because life can change in the blink of an eye. You sit in a doctor's office, in the exam room, and the doctor comes back in and he says maybe a few words, but there's one word that sticks out to you and it changes your life, and it's the word cancer. Life all of a sudden changed. One of the most difficult mornings I had in ministry was on a Saturday morning. I had been commissioned to go with a soldier from Fort Knox, and we were going to a house that morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, to share with a mom and dad that their son had been killed in battle. And we were to show up promptly at 6 a.m. in the morning. And sure as anything, we were at their house and we were there um, at the doorstep at 6 a.m. in the morning. And then as I think about that, here's what's so amazing. 5.59 that morning, the father and mother thought life was going on as normal. And then at 6 a.m. in the morning, there was a knock on the door. In the blink of an eye, their lives were radically changed. Just one minute later, as you think about this message from James chapter 4, be careful about making plans. Jesus, I want to go back to John's gospel for a moment, give you a couple of principles. Jesus said these words in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, if you abide in my word, you're true to my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why are so many believers not living the free life that Jesus promised here? 
Why are so many people seem to be in bondage or in chains to some of the issues of the past in life? Why aren't we living free in him? And then just a couple of chapters later in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus went on to say, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Why are so many of God's people not living the abundant life that Jesus promised in John's gospel, chapter 10? Instead of living the abundant life, there are so many people who say they're believers just trying to survive day after day after day in the seasons of life. Why are we not living free and why are we missing the abundant life that Jesus promised? In many ways, we come back to, John, to James chapter 4 because in this, he said, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So there are many of us, we're not living the free life that Jesus promised, but also there are many of us not living the abundant life that Jesus promised because we know the good things that we ought to be doing and we're simply not doing them. As a result of that, he calls that sin disobedience to Almighty God. Be careful about making plans. Well, I want to encourage you to look at your outline with me this morning. Number one is the busyness of life. The business of life. In James chapter 4, he says, Now, come now, you who say. So he's writing to a group of believers, Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, and he's going to say to them, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. The business of life. Now, let me just unpack something. When James here is talking about today or tomorrow, we'll do this or that, please understand he's not against making plans. He's not against making a profit because any time in life, you and I need to be able to make plans. A profit is a good thing because we want to live life. But here's what James is saying to these Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. Do you make plans? You're seeking to make a profit. But the problem is you never consult what God wants you to do in life. That's the problem. Nothing wrong with making plans, nothing wrong with making a profit, but make sure you seek the will and the direction of God for your life first, and then allow him to give you direction and guidance to what he wants to do in your life. So that was the issue for James. They were making plans, they were making profits, but they never considered what God wanted to do in their lives and what was his will for them. So I want to give you these words. I want to encourage you to write these in. Number one is is the word departure. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow. When I say the word departure, they were going to leave this area. They were going somewhere to make a profit. So today or tomorrow, we're going to do this. Here's the mistake that they made that many of us make in life too. They never considered God's timing behind what they were going to do in life. How many of you and me make decisions in life every day and we never consider the timing of God in regards to those decisions? God, what is your time? Maybe you're praying about something. The door's not opened up. You don't feel like God's in your corner. Nothing seems to be working out. Well, in many of those situations, it's not that God is unfair. It's a timing issue in your life. Either you're not ready for what you're asking for or the situation is not ready yet. So it's all about God's timing in your life and in your circumstance. But here they were saying today or tomorrow, we're determining the time, not God, but us. 
And as I look back at, at ministry for Angie and me, I thank God for his timing because there were times where maybe we wanted to do something, but we were not ready. Maybe the situation was not ready. And so when I think about ministry and assignments, all about the timing of God in life, be faithful to God, but also be aware of his timing for you in your life. So on one hand, it was departure. Number two is the word destination. When you look at this text today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. It's about the destination. Where are you going to go? There are many times in life you and I will make plans, but we never consult with God about the destination. Where do you want us to go? And that's what they were doing here in the book of James. How many of you have made major life-changing decisions for you and for your family, and you never consulted about the timing of God, but you never consulted God about the destination? This is what you wanted to do, so you set a course to go do it. As I look back again in ministry, and this was very personal for me as I was studying for this this week, I thank God for many open doors that he's given us in life and ministry, places he's allowed us to serve where we saw God at work and we were able to love the people and they loved us, incredible opportunities. But at the same time, as I was praying yesterday through this, I thank God for the many closed doors that he never opened for us in ministry. That was his protection for us. That's not his assignment. That's not where we needed to be. So you need to pray about God's timing, but you also need to pray about God's destination. Where does he want you to plant your life at? What does he want you to do? How does he want to use you in the future? The destination matters. Look at the third word as we look at this. We've got one, departure, and then we've got destination. Number three is duration. How long are you going to be there? They go on in this text, they say, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there. Well, they're setting their own timetable. When you talk to God, how long does he want you to stay in this particular place? They had already said that. We're going to stay a year or so there, and then we're going to move on, do something else. The duration of that, are you consulting with God to say, God, you place me here, your timing is here, but how long do you want me to stay in this situation? One thing you need to know in ministry is when to come, but also when to leave. That's a wise thing to know. Where is God's sweet spot? Here's where he wants me to serve, but here's when he wants me to make a transition. I remember talking to a group of believers. They loved their senior pastor. He was one of their best friends. They loved him dearly. He had pastored this church literally for decades. And here's one of the things they said about him. They said one of the mistakes that he made in his ministry, he stayed too long. Somewhere you've got to know when to come, but somewhere you've got to know when to leave. What does that look like? And God will give you that kind of direction. But you need to seek God, again, about the timing. Seek God about the destination. Seek God about how long you need to be there. And then look at the word number four, or the details. And you look at it and you say, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and here are the details. We will trade and make a profit. How many of you are considering the details, what God wants to do in your lives? And then here they're looking at it and say, we want to make a profit. We're going to trade, we're going to do business, but we're going to make a profit. Well, what does God want to accomplish in your life? And let me get specific here for a moment. When you think about the business of life, what does God want to accomplish in this church? And then what does God want to accomplish in my life or my ministry? What does God want to accomplish in us? Because we want to make sure, God, the timing is your timing. 
We want to make sure we're going to the place you want us to go. We don't want to stay too long. We want to stay right in the center of your will. But God, we want to accomplish what you want us to accomplish in life, but also in ministry. What is God up to in our midst? But many times the busyness of life, we get so busy, so focused, that we no longer ask God those basic questions of the Christian life. And so here's how we live life. When there's a national tragedy in this world, what do we do? We quickly turn our attention to God and say, God, we're in a storm. Our backs are against the wall. We need you to come and rescue us because, God, you're the one who's in control. You've got the whole world in your hands. But when life is going good, when there are no storms, our backs are not against the wall, it's tempting, and oftentimes we do this, we live like God doesn't even exist because we never ask Him, God, is the timing right? Is the location right? How long do you want us to stay? How do you want us to serve? And God, what do you want to accomplish in and through us? The business of life Be careful about making plans when you are busy and you never consult what God wants you to do in your life. That's number one. Look at number two, the brevity of life. James goes on to say in this passage, he says, you you do not know what tomorrow will bring. That's true for every one of us in this room and watching. Uh, You and I know today, again, we, we know it's Sunday. So the Lord calls us. We get to gather together and worship the Lord Jesus together. But we don't know what's going to happen on Monday or Tuesday or this week. In fact, we don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. And like we prayed earlier, can you imagine those people and our hearts go out to them who walked into that grocery store yesterday going in to get something for dinner maybe last night and life ended for them just like that. You don't even know what's going to happen before this service is over. And that's why he's saying to them, you're not the one in control. They were living their lives like they were in control. They knew the future better. But no, the truth is they didn't know the future. They were not in control. God knows the future, and God is the one who's in control. And that's why he's teaching. But the brevity of life. He goes on to say this, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's pretty quick. So when you look at your life and you compare your life to eternity... You just see how brief, how fragile, how uncertain life is. You look at life and you look at it and you think, well, compared to accidents, tragedies, just to the span of life, to diseases, then life can be pretty short. How many of us live like the guy, and I want to encourage you to go back to Luke chapter 12 for a moment. Jesus is going to tell this parable, and he's telling this parable because it relates in many ways to our lives. And he told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced abundantly, And he thought to himself, have you ever thought anything to yourself? It's one thing to to, to think to yourself. It's another thing to talk to yourself. How many of you talk to yourself? You ask a question and then you answer your own question. There's a word for that. I won't go there today in this message. But he told him this parable. He said, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. And he's answering himself. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul. Again, he's going to talk to himself. One, he's talking to his soul now. Soul, uh, you have ample goods laid up for many years. And then here's what he's going to do. When he looks at his life, years to come, 
all that he's accomplished, all that he's accumulated in life, and he's looking at his life, and then here's what his soul is going to say. Wants you to relax, wants you to eat, wants you to drink, and wants you to be merry. How many of us find ourselves in the same situation as this rich man? We look at what we've accomplished in life, what we've accumulated in life, and we're just looking at it and saying, now, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do the rest of my days. I'm going to relax. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry in life. That's what I'm going to do in life. But did you ask God about that in your life? Because here's what the rich man said. Here's what he thought. Here's what he said. But listen, you've got to understand, God always has the final say. And so God's going to speak into the situation. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this rich man, looking at years down the road, I'm going to relax, I'm going to eat, drink, I'm going to be merry. And then God speaks into his life and said, you are a fool, you're unwise. This very night your soul is required of you. The clock has been ticking, and time has run out. I wonder how many of us, as we think about the brevity of life in this room, watching, the clock is ticking. You can hear the sound of seconds going off, off, and off somewhere in life. We don't know when that's going to be. Our clocks, our time will run out. And God says, this very moment, this very second, your soul is going to be required of you. And so I ask this question to, to kids and students and adults in this room, those watching. When you look at your life, are you rich when it comes to the things of this world? Or when you look at your life, as you see in this parable, are you rich when it comes to the things of God? I plead with you, enjoy the stuff of this world as you can in obedience to Christ, but make sure you're rich to him, not merely to this world. The brevity of life. Many of us live with this motto, one of these days. One of these days. One of these days, we're going to take the trip of a lifetime. One of these days, I'm going to spend more time with my wife and kids. Uh, one of these days, we're going to join the church and we're going to serve and get more involved. Uh, one of these days, we're uh, we're going to spend more time as a family discipling one another and spending time in God's Word. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll do that one of these days. The problem is there are many people who said that in life, but one of these days never came because their clock ran out. And they thought, I'll do all these things. Well, God has the final word, the final say, the brevity of life. And he's, James, again, what you, you, you say about tomorrow, well, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? Your life is like a mist. It appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. It's gone. Same is true from your life to my life. Now, look at your outline. Let me ask you these questions here. Three questions I want you to think through. Look at the first question. Is your trust in the stuff of life? Is your trust in the stuff of life? And let me answer that question for you. If so, if your trust is in the stuff of this life, the enemy rejoices. And you know why? Because he knows you will lose every single time. Because you can't trust the stuff of this life. 
I remember having a, a custodian at a church I pastored. I can still remember right where my administrative assistant's desk was at. I still remember her. She was in her late 70s at that time, still had a desire to work. And I remember her standing there talking, and I came up on the conversation, and I made some kind of comment, and she taught me a valuable lesson that day. And she said this, don't ever love anything that can't love you back. The stuff of this world will never love you back. You just will not do it. Now I want you to look at this picture. I want to have a little fun. Uh, somebody sent me this picture. You don't see that very much. A hearse and a, and a U-Haul. And so to clarify that picture, someone must have bought that hearse and was just having a good time in life, had a great sense of humor probably doing that. Now let me just be, let, let me be straight with you. I have preached literally hundreds of funerals in my pastoral ministry. I've been in all sorts of uh, processions going to the, you know, to the graveside. I have never followed a hearse that had a U-Haul behind it. Never. And you know why? Because you're going to leave all the stuff of this life behind. Are you rich toward this world or are you rich toward God? Are you in love with the stuff of this life? Is your trust in the stuff of this life? I just appeal to you this morning in this room or watching, if you're trusting in money and possessions and the wealth of this world, I encourage you, let the Lord open your eyes, open your heart, open your life. Make sure you trust Him, not the stuff of this life. Don't come to the end of life and waste your days. Make sure you're rich toward God and not simply rich toward this world. Look at the second question. Do you think about the splendor of heaven? So I think about life. I think about what um, uh, Paul said to the believers in Colossae. We preached through that sermon series, but in Colossians chapter 3, what does he say? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What a glorious thought. When you think about your life, are you thinking about the splendor of heaven? Who goes to heaven? What heaven is going to be like? What are you going to do in heaven? What are you going to see in heaven? I just encourage you in life, when you're making plans, don't trust the stuff of this life, but also make sure you're thinking about the splendor, the glory, the majesty of heaven. You're going to be with Jesus Christ forever and forever in your life. You're going to worship him and serve him. Think about the splendor and glory of heaven. That's what he's asking us in the book of James to do that. Look at the third question. How do you need to obey the spirit of Christ? How do you need to obey him in your life? I just want to encourage you, don't delay, don't procrastinate. If you need to make a spiritual decision this, this day, I just encourage you to make that spiritual decision. If you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the only one who will save you. If you need to be baptized, I wouldn't delay that and put that off. If you need to join this church and to serve in this church, I would obey him immediately. If you need to confess some sin and forsake that and repent of that, if you need to surrender your life and, and go in a different direction, obey the leadership of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord today. You don't have tomorrow. 
You don't have next Sunday. You don't have a few months from now. All you've got is today. Seize the divine opportunity that God has put in your path. He's given you life this morning. Surrender your life to Jesus today. Give him your time. Surrender to him. Because one, you got the busyness of life. Number two, you got the brevity of life. Look at number three, the boastings of life. When you look at this text, look what he goes on to say. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You ought to say, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So what James is saying to these believers here now is you're trying to separate life from the sacred to the secular. And, and we do the same thing in life as well. How many of you look at your life and say, on Sunday mornings... I'm going to be in a connect group. I'm going to be in the worship gathering. On Sunday mornings, I'm going to gather with the people of God and worship Him, study the Bible with others. But then you look at life, but on Mondays, I've got a position, I've got a job I've got to be at. I'm leading a group of people. I'm set on making a profit, increasing the bottom line. I do all those things, but Sunday's for the Lord, but the rest of the week, this is what I'm going to do in my life. You should never separate life. You can't separate the sacred from the secular as a believer in Christ because everything you do matters to Jesus Christ in your life. And so, so whatever your vocation is, serve Jesus. Whatever you have in the bank, serve Jesus. Whatever you do in life, serve Jesus in your life. Don't separate life. Put it all in one and say, God, you've got the whole world in your hands. You are the Lord of my life. You're Lord over everything I've got in my life. Jesus, it's about you. But what were they doing? They were boasting about the stuff. Like, write these words down. One, their wishes. They were more committed to doing what they wished, what they wanted to do in life, than doing the will of God in life. How many of us are right there with them? We've got all these plans and agendas. We do those rather than the will of God in life. It was their wishes. That second is their applause. They were so much more on getting the applause of this world than they were the glory of God in life. And how many of us do the same thing? We can't wait to get the applause of this world rather than living for the glory of God. Folks, I challenge you, live out God's will, but live for the glory of God, not the applause of this world. And then their credit, uh, when you look at their lives, uh, they were taking credit for things that they had no business taking credit for. How many of us in life but in ministry do the same thing? We, we try to take credit for things we have no business taking credit for. We should never be the ones who desire to stand in the spotlight. Jesus Christ should be in the spotlight. He is to be glorified. We're to do his will. The credit, the glory goes to him, not us. And we just thank him for being used. But, well, when you look at this and you think about the will of God, that's what he says in his passage. You should say, if the Lord wills. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in life that we have to say every single time, I'm going to do this if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. If you want to say that, that's okay. But I think you just live with a heart conviction and a mind to say, I'm going to do everything the Lord wants. I'm living in the center of his will. I want to make sure my life, whether it's public life, personal life, private life, is in the center of God's will. You live your life that way because obeying the will of God will free you up in life. Obeying the will of God will allow you to live the abundant life that Jesus promised. Obeying the will of God will be the greatest days of your life. I didn't say the easiest days of your life, but the best days, the greatest days of your life. 
if you'll live in the center of God's will. You say, how, how, do, how will I know the will of God? Well, there are a lot of things the Bible's clear about. Is it God's will for you to be saved? Absolutely. Is it God's will for you to be faithful in marriage and family? Yes. Is it God's will that you would gather with other believers? It is God's will for that. Is it God's will that you would live a holy life? That's what God said. You be holy because I'm holy. Those are aspects of the will of God for you and for me. But how am I going to know God's will? And I've given you these blanks to fill in. One is God's word. You'll always know his will by the consistency of his word. He's never going to ask you to do something that's forbidden in God's word in Scripture. So when you want to know the will of God, the primary place, God, what does your word say or teach about this, about this decision? What does the word of God say? Number two is God's spirit. He, when you and I were saved, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you and me. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, he's not going to lead you to destroy your life. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you to glorify Christ in your life. Obey the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He'll convict you. He'll teach you. He'll guide you. Rely on the Holy Spirit to know and do the will of God in your life. Number three, God's people. God puts people around us who love him, who love us, who are acquainted with biblical truth. You just need to have some people around you in your life who love God, who love you, and who are faithful to share the truth of God with you in life. I I don't know how many times decisions that we made in life, major life-changing decisions did we consult god's word yes did we rely on god's spirit absolutely but did we talk to god's people make no mistake we did do those things and look at number four god's peace he's not a god of confusion when god's will is about something he's going to give you peace about it i would just encourage you if you're getting ready to make a decision and you don't have peace about it be careful about moving forward with that decision the enemy will cause chaos in your life. God will give you peace in life. And we've said no to some great opportunities in ministry because the peace of God simply wasn't there. And we thought, well, God, you're not going to lead us to do something if you're not going to give us peace because you're the God of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. We want to follow him. And then look at the last one, God's providence. That means God's protection in your life. How many of you are in the center of God's will because God protected you? He provided for you. We see it again and again. So the boastings of life. Now look at number four, the brokenness life. He says in this passage, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. The brokenness of life. I hope you understand the principle of this text. It's a sin in the eyes of God to do wrong. But notice this next phrase. It's a sin in the eyes of God to miss an opportunity to do good. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. How many of us have sinned against him already today? God, I knew I should have done that. I knew the good I ought to do, and I just didn't do it. That's sin. Why do we miss the will of God so much in life? Why do we not do it? Let me just give you these three blanks quickly. Number one, predictable excuses. We know what God wants us to do. What well, God, I, I just can't do that right now. Maybe I'll do that a little bit later. If I did that, would that even make a difference? And God, can I really even afford to do that? To the will of God, we give all these excuses why we just can't do that. Number two, personal procrastination. We are good experts at putting things off. I'll get to this in another week. I'll get this next month. Maybe next year we'll get to this. We just put it off. Then number three, good intentions. 
The road to torment is paved with good intentions. I'll do this one of these days. I, I, I intend to do this. I intend to give my life to Christ. I intend to join the church. I intend to do this or that. Good intentions causes us to miss the will of God in life. It was a Saturday morning and I was driving, actually I was going to the campus of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky and on the way on that Saturday morning there were hot air balloons in the air and it was just a beautiful sight over the skyline in in Louisville to see those hot air balloons and then as I arrived on campus at Southern Seminary and pulled in the parking lot there was a hot air balloon in the parking lot and they were trying to inflate the balloons so that they could lift off and join the other ones and so the balloon got up some and they were shooting fire up into that balloon and uh, if, if you're like me, when you see fire, it excites you because you want to see something blow up every now and then. You didn't want the balloon to blow up, but, but you'd like to see something blow up sometimes. So they're shooting fire up in this balloon. It inflates, and all of a sudden, they're in the basket, and the basket lifts off the ground, and they're probably 50 feet up in the air or so forth. And then one of the operators uh, yelled back down and said, we've got to make a landing. We forgot the map. Where are they going to go? And so I stood and I thought, well, that's a wise decision. If I, if I was flying over the city of Louisville and going somewhere, I'd need a map to know where I was going to land at. So they landed the balloon. Uh, somebody gave them, the, gave them the, the map. And then all of a sudden they lifted back off again and they were on their way. And that morning in that parking lot, the Holy Spirit just convicted me to say, are you, but also people around you, how many people are trying to navigate life and you're never paying attention to the map? Well, what's the map? It's the Word of God. And when you look at the map, the Word of God, what does he say? Be careful about making plans. The business of life, so busy. The brevity of life, we don't even know what's going to happen the rest of this day. The boastings of life, we try to take credit for all these things. Well, no, that's God's work in our lives. And then the brokenness of life, how many of us know things that we should do and we simply don't do them, and he says that is sin. But what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's bow together this morning. As we bow together this morning, we're going to sing an invitation song in just a moment. Why do we give invitations? Because we want you to seize the moment and be obedient to Jesus. So in the room or watching, I plead with you. The enemy wants you to procrastinate. He wants you to delay. He wants you to put it off. But if you need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I plead with you. I appeal to you. Surrender your life to him right now. Just confess your sin. Confess your need for him. And just acknowledge that he died on a cross and gave his life for you. And the tomb is empty today. And he's the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can forgive you. And invite Jesus to be the savior of your life. You can come in this invitation. You can respond on any platform you're watching on. And we will help you in your relationship to Christ. How many of you need to step out today and be baptized as a believer in Christ? Not be baptized to be saved because trusting Jesus does that for you. You just want to acknowledge that salvation and you want other people to know that. You need to be baptized as a kid, as a student, as an adult. 
Don't procrastinate. Don't delay. Come right now. Obey him. How many of you need to join the fellowship of this church? I mean, you've known it for weeks and months and maybe years. And you need to say, today's the day. We need to make that decision. Life is brief. We need to make that decision to join the fellowship of this church. And how many of you just need to confess a sin? Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins against the Lord. And you need to confess that sin to him. And again, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're going to be in front this morning. Our pastoral staff, our prayer partners, our prayer team will be there as well. You can respond to us online, but we want to see you obey the leadership of Jesus in your life today. Live free. Live the abundant life he's promised because you're living life the way he asked you to live it. So, Father, we love you and we thank you and we give you this invitation. It's for the glory of Jesus. It's all about him. It's for the praise of his name. And I pray decisions will be made maybe privately or publicly today and the glory will go to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood and giving your life for us. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.